Good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. Everybody doing well? Yes. Yeah, good, 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 good week. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Brewers are doing well. Anybody? Many Brewers fans? Yeah, doing really well. It's good. Yeah, all right. All right. E easy game today at noon, I think, hopefully, right? No? No, a little quiet. Let's just pray. Father, we just pray you that you, uh, I'm just teasing. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. We're going to continue in this series uh, on the book of Galatians. And, um, uh, and I hope that last weekend was, um, was beneficial and that you are kind of just kind of tracking along. Next week we'll do, we'll get into Galatians chapter 3. And we'll just continue to walk this out every week. We're going to take on a different chapter. Uh, and uh, today is... Um, uh, it's, uh, it's about the heart of the gospel, and uh, it's really interesting because I'm going to try not to divert too much. There's a lot of history around this passage, uh, so this would be the passage uh, and, and part of the essence where um, Martin Luther, uh, with the Protestant Reformation, when he basically says, no, that faith in Jesus Christ is what saves us, not through works, he's going back to this. Uh, he's going back to the encounter we're going to talk about between Paul and Peter of how he will uh, visualize his own interaction with the Catholic Church. Uh, pretty crazy stuff. And so there's a lot of history around this particular passage. But there's a lot of 21st century uh, application. So if you go, I have no idea who Martin Luther is, unless you're talking about Martin Luther King Jr. and the Reformation, don't know about that. Great news is you don't have to know about any of that in order to get what we're going to talk about today. Um, but uh, again, I, I just uh, I want to jump into this, and I'm not going to read the entire chapter. I'm not even going to do like a word-by-word walkthrough. This isn't intended to be an exhaustive uh, type of, of explanation, but rather it's to what's the heart of what Paul is saying here to the church in Galatia, and how does it apply to us? So verse 14 kind of picks up, and it starts with a fight, a church fight. I don't know if you've been around church at all, but churches have fights. And they get vicious. And so this is like a, a showdown, right? I mean, this is like the Thrilla in Manila. This is between Peter, who is the, the disciple that Jesus set up on you. I will build my church. Uh, I will use you as a leader of the New Testament church. It's going to be Peter on the day of Pentecost and Acts chapter 2 that will stand up and preach and 3,000 people get saved. It's going to be Peter who basically leads the, the, the church uh, of Jesus Christ from Jerusalem, which would be the church in essence as far as locations go, and Paul. Paul, who was a Jew and also a Roman citizen, which was unique, but Paul, who would, would have been someone very astute and very learned, but during the entire time Jesus is on the planet, Paul is a persecutor of the church. Peter and Paul will both be there in Acts Gospel chapter 6, where Stephen is martyred and killed. He's the first martyr of the, of the New Testament church because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And they're on opposite sides. Uh, Paul, though, will have what's called the road to Damascus experience. When he's on the road to Damascus, God literally shows up in a face-to-face -face encounter with him and reveals himself. He has such a dramatic change and influence in his life that he gives his life to Christ and he leaves Judaism and he follows Jesus in Christianity. 
And Paul then is such a powerhouse that God will use, even though he was not one of the 12, he's not a leader in the New Testament church as far as the Jews, Jewish aspect of it's concerned. Paul's calling is to the Gentiles. That's why Paul wants to go to Rome. Paul believes so much that if he can get before Caesar, he will actually be able to lead him to Christ and therefore change the most powerful nation on the face of the planet at that time. Uh, I was in Rome back in the summer and got to go to where the prison cell that Paul was in when he began to write what's called the prison epistles. And uh, it was, Tammy and I were there, it was a couple, of, a couple of us that were there, and it was one of those things where you felt like you've seen the Colosseum, you've seen uh, all the beautiful architecture, you've been to the Vatican, but it was in that cell, was in that dungeon, it was in that pit that he begins to write most of what we have in the New Testament. And you realize the calling that was on his life. And you begin to sense the gravity of what he's talking about. So in verse 14, which is where we're going to pick up today, you've got Paul and Peter, who are both Jews, that have come out of Judaism. It's important for you to understand that from a, from a, from a religious aspect. Jesus himself, a Jew, coming up from Judaism, in essence, and, but, but realizing that he is the Messiah. So Jews, practicing Jews today, if you know anybody who goes to synagogue and who's Orthodox Jew, they are still waiting for the Messiah. They believe everything you and I believe in the Old Testament. <clears throat> what they differ in is when it comes to the, to the gospel, to the New Testament, to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They're still waiting for their Messiah. We believe in everything that the Jews believe as far as from the beginning of creation until the birth of Christ, but we believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. So what's happening is Peter comes as a follower of Jesus Christ, as one of the original 12, becomes the leader of the New Testament church, but he really is more about uh, pastoring those who come from a Jewish background and who are, who are coming into faith in Christ. Paul even though he comes from a Jewish background and he was a, a Jew, as he would call himself a Hebrew among Hebrew, his calling is not to the Jews who've been converted to Christianity, but rather to the Gentiles. Gentiles are anybody who's not Jews. So unless you come from Jewish, Jewish ethnicity, we're here today because of this passage we're going to read. We're here today because Paul said, no, 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 no. I'm a Jew. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrew. I, I'm, I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I get it. I have all of the accolades. But this gospel is not just to the Jew, but to the Gentile. Not just to those who are found, but to the lost. Not just to those who are on the inside, but those who are on the outside. Outside being us, non-Jewish believers. And so this conflict, I'm going to read it, then we're going to unpack it, verse 14 through verse 21. That's just kind of the background that's happening here. So when I saw, this is Paul that they were not following the truth of the good news, which is the gospel, I spoke to Peter in front of them all. So this isn't a private conversation. I said, Peter, you are a Jew, but you are not living like a Jew. You are living like those who are not Jewish. So he's Gentiles. Why do you now try to force these or those who are not Jewish to live like Jews? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles. He's being a bit sarcastic there because the Jews... Uh, Jewish men would pray every day, thank you, God, I'm not a woman, a dog, or a Gentile. That's kind of where they viewed Gentiles. Verse 16, know that a person is not justified 
by the works of the law, which is Old Testament, but by the faith in Jesus Christ, so that we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of law. Because by the works of law, no one will be justified. That word justified means to be made right. So to, in order to be made the righteousness of God, it's not about laws, it's not about rules, it's about faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 17. But if I, in seeking to be justified in Christ, seeking to be right in Christ, seeking to be right with God, we Jews, so Peter and Paul are also Jews, find ourselves also among the sinners. That doesn't mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroy, then I really would be a lawbreaker. But for through the law, the Old Testament, I died to the law so that I might live for God. How? Look at verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but it's Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live in the body, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if the righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Now, this is a conversation, this is a debate that is happening among the religious leaders in, in a place called Antioch. And Peter, excuse me, Paul here is referring to this in the book of Galatians because the Galatians, as we talked about last week, uh, th those that, that are a part of the church there, they're beginning to put all these rules onto, yeah, you don't just need to be saved, but you have to act this way. You, you, you don't just need to have a salvation in Jesus Christ. You need to, you need to dress a certain way on Sunday. You, you need to do certain things. you got to, all these extra things. So it works, all the extra works that I have to do. And Paul goes, no, 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 it's by grace that we've been saved, through faith in Jesus Jesus Christ, and that not of ourselves, it's a gift of God, lest any of us will become boastful. It's not about my works, it's about grace. What's happening here with Peter is um, Peter basically had, had this encounter that Acts chapter 10 tells us about where he is on a rooftop, and I, I'm just going to paraphrase it for you so you can read it later if you want, but Acts chapter 10, he has, a, he has this vision, and he's praying, he's in his devotional time, he's, he's doing his soap, right, his scripture, observation, application, right, just like you do every day, Amen. It's a good time to say amen like you read the Bible. Amen? amen. <laughs> Even if you don't. Okay. So he, he's having his, his daily devo, and he has this vision. And basically God shows him all of these animals that were considered unclean. In the Old Testament, the law would say there are certain things you can eat and certain things you can't eat. So let me just, like, reduce it to one thing that I love to eat that you can't eat according to the Old Testament. Ribs, pork ribs, ham. Barbecue. Can I get a witness in the house? <laughs> Sweet baby rays. Mmm. Hallelujah. Sweet Rosa Sharon. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I mean, like, we're talking about like barbecue. I don't care if it's Kansas City, Memphis at the rendezvous, if it's North Carolina, or if it's good, sweet Texas barbecues. Thank you, Jesus, for Texas. Anyhow, I don't care what it is, but that with all the sauce, and then you have to have the trimmings, right? You need cold, chill, Vidalia onions. Can I get a witness in the house? Amen. Coleslaw, potato salad. You have to have some bread. If your country come to town, you call it light bread. And so anyhow, you have all of that. And, and so what it is is that according to the law, you couldn't have any, you couldn't, ha you couldn't eat pork. So the discussion comes in is that all of a sudden is that as Peter sees this and God's like, this is one of those animals. And, 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 and God says, take and eat. And Peter says, but I can't because the law prohibits me. 
Now, this is Jesus already died on the cross. The church has begun. Peter is now the leader of the New Testament church. God gives him this encounter because they're having to understand. You've got to realize they've been raised this way all of their lives for traditions and, tradi- and years and years and years and years and years. And, 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 and what God is trying to show Peter is that Jesus is not a sect of Judaism, but rather its own religion. Because you can't just get to the Father, but you've got to get to the Father through the Son. That's the caveat. Jesus is what divides Judaism from Christianity. We believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but through the Son. And so he has this experience. And God says to Peter, do not call unclean what I have called clean. Therefore, in Christ, Jesus Christ is the embodiment of the law. All these rules and regulations of the Old Testament. Therefore, if, if, if I accept Jesus into my life... Through faith, I trust him. I put my faith and my trust in him. I fulfill all of the law. Because the reality is, is that none of us in the history of humanity has ever been able to fulfill all the law. But that through Jesus Christ, I am been saved. Not through my acts of the law, but not through my works, but through faith. I have been justified. I've been, verse 16 and 17 and 18 says, I've been made right with Christ. And so he has this experience. Then immediately there's a knock at the door. There's a centurion. So it's a, Roman, it's a Roman official that comes. So he's an Italian, right? And he pulls up in his Ferrari, and he shows up, because that's what Italians all drive, or Maseratis, take your pick. Pulls up, rings the doorbell, and, and invites and says, look, I, I, my, my, my master has asked you to come and to share. He's a man of devout faith. So he's seeking God, higher deity, but he doesn't know who Jesus is. Sound like the world that we live in? And so Peter goes with him, and they go, and he gets there. And when he gets to the house of Cornelius, who is this, who is this uh, Italian dignitary, he said, we've been praying for you, Peter. Tell us. And Peter begins to share the gospel, the good news, that we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus, not about our works. These are Gentiles. These are not Jews. Understands a big difference. This is the first time that anybody from the church at this point, Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, they're all Jews. Acts chapter 3, they're all Jews. Acts chapter 4, they're all Jews. Acts chapter 5, they're all... It's not until this point that part of that revelation that the gospel isn't just for the Jew but for the Gentile. The Bible says that it will go to the Jew first because that's God's chosen people going all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way through the blood lineage. But it's not just for the Jew but also for the Gentile. And we say amen to that because that's us. And so, so, so th- but this is the time where Peter has this Jew of the Jew, the leader of the New Testament church, goes and preaches the gospel, and they give their lives to Christ. And not only do they give their lives to Christ, they are baptized with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, and the Spirit of God gives them the utterance. It says it all right there, just as those 120 Jewish Christ followers received in the upper room when Jesus, when Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people get saved. Peter has to go back to what's called Acts chapter 15 records the council of Jerusalem. And he has to give an account for his actions because this is completely divergent of anything they've seen. So he goes all the way back to the prophets of old, all the way back explaining that justification, which means I have been made right through Christ and that and through faith in Jesus Christ and that not of my actions and my works. Therefore, I am now free so that the things that I have been prohibited, i.e. pork, Barbecue sandwiches, 
ribs, right? I want my baby, 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 right? You know what I'm talking about? That we're free. We're no longer under the law of sin and death, which was the curse that was implemented upon man. But through Jesus Christ, we now have freedom. Not so we can just go do what we want to do. Not just so we just go live the way we want to live. But we have freedom because it's not about rules and do's and don'ts. And we talked about that last week. But we're free to live in Christ. And so in Acts chapter 15, at the council uh, of Jerusalem, Peter stands on this conviction and basically declares that this is not just a gospel for the Jew, but also for the Gentile. And the question comes up, well, these Gentiles don't eat the same diet that we eat, kosher. So the kosher diet is according to the law. A non-kosher diet is not according to the law. So like a couple of years ago, we went to Israel, which you'll be hearing about this in a few, a couple months. We're going to do another trip again, and we're going to go. It's going to be a great time and all that. And Ryan Coggins, our executive pastor and myself, we're in Jerusalem with, with a whole group of, from, from the church. And I, I was craving a double bacon cheeseburger. I'm just going to be honest, which is not kosher. Right? And in Jerusalem, it's kind of hard to find non-kosher. And so I was like, ah, i got to get this. And so anyhow, so I asked, we're at the hotel, and I asked the concierge. I just said, hey, 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 can I get a hamburger somewhere in this town? And he looks at me, he goes, do you want kosher or do you want non-kosher? Like, do you want to be right before God or do you just want to just split hell wide open with this? <laughs> I said, I want non-kosher. I want cheese and beef and bacon. And he just went here. And we went and... Anyhow, I won't tell you how much we paid for that bacon double cheeseburger, but it was worth every, because I've been set free, amen? I'm no longer under, right? Hallelujah. Okay, so, so what's happening is they're beginning to talk about that. And, and, and even things like circumcision, because what was happening, the Jewish men were saying, hey, these Gentile men, just think about this for a minute, must be circumcised in order to fulfill the law. And Peter along with the goat, no, we can't impose that upon them. Because if an outward action of works saved you, then what Christ did on the cross, we just read it in verse 21, is null and void. It's not about my outward works. And every Gentile man says, thank God. <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean, it's tough enough to get people to come to church. If you have to come to church and, hey, you got to be circumcised, I'm out of here, man. I don't care who you are, right? I mean, so, so all of this is happening. But then what happens is Peter, he is, he's allowing, you know, he's actually kind of conforming. He's actually having some pork ribs. And he's actually kind of, he's kind of conforming because he's no longer living under this law. And, and he's living in faith and, and, and through Christ. And, 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 and so the church is growing and the Gentiles are growing and all this is happening. But in Antioch, all of a sudden Peter stops. He abruptly stops. And he withdraws from the Gentile Christians. In any, and and, and it, it's not just, I don't want to be with you. It's, I'm better than you. Because his Jewish brethren from Jerusalem began to show up. And all of a sudden, it's this, think of it like different kinds of churches. Well, like if you're from a liturgical background, and then, and then you've been with a bunch of crazy charismatics over here, and you've been hooping and hollering, but then everybody then sings my soul, shows up. You don't want to hoop and holler anymore because you, you've got to be dignified and you've been undignified and so you're in this and he distanced himself and he withdraws himself and not only does it do harm to the relationship with the Gentiles it's insulting it's hypocritic and uh, Paul then addresses this in verse 14 I go back to that if you got your Bibles open 
He, he, he would have none of this vacillation that Peter's doing. And he reprimands Peter as an apostle. I mean, he goes head to head in front of other people and says, you are a Jew, yet you have lived like a Gentile and not like a Jew. And how is it that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? All of a sudden, you're going back to this? All of a sudden, you're going, what happened to Acts chapter 10? What happened to the house of Cornelius? What happened to, to, to your statement in Acts 15 with the council in Jerusalem? What has happened with how you've lived life? You're confusing these people here. And you are also doing a detriment to the church of Jesus Christ as we try to reach Gentiles. And, and, and Peter is not just merely guilty of being a, a social snob, but, but he's denying the power of the gospel. This is what's important to understand because it's legalism. It's basically saying it's not just enough that you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's not just enough that you give your life to Christ, but you've got to walk like this, and you've got to dress like this, and you've got to do all this, and you've got to eat like this. And if you don't do it this way, and you don't have church this way, and you don't go this way, then you can't be a Christian. Let's fast forward to the 21st century. We're sometimes, especially if we've been saved for very long, guilty of the same things. Instead of allowing people the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to do the work in life in, in, in them, we say you can't, you know, I used to joke growing up, you know, you can't smoke, drink, or chew, or, or date girls that do. That, that was kind of the rule, right? I mean, it's just, you, you, you can't do these things because they're viewed as things that are in the world. And we've got to come out of the world and be separate from the world. And, and there's truth to that except for the fact when we began to judgment and we put judgment and we put our rules and regulations on top of people that were never intended to be there. That's what's happening. And if we're not careful, we find ourselves doing that. And there's two schools of thought on this. There's, there's one school of thought that says, hey, you know what? People need to be saved, and there needs to be a marked difference in their life and a marked difference in how they talk and how they walk and what they do and, how, and who they hang out with. And then there's other people that go, oh, it just doesn't matter. It's just grace. Just go do what you want to do. And the truth of the matter is this is not a tension to be solved, but rather a tension to be managed because you can't just go live the way you want to go live. You can't just go do what you want to do. Listen, if you give your life to Christ, you shouldn't be shacking up with somebody. Else. If you're living your life for Christ, you shouldn't be going clubbing and getting drunk. If you're living your life for Christ, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. You need to make sure that Christ, who has died for your sins, has changed you at the same time. Woo, I'm about to preach. Over here, the crusty Christians, it is not your job to become the moral cop and go, I saw you over there. What were you doing? I saw when the music, you just started popping. I saw you, and this is going, and I saw you. You smell like cigarettes. You, who died and made you God? And that's where we find ourselves. It's all grace. It's all okay. Just do what you want to do. No. It's called sin. I didn't write the book. There are certain things about the book I don't like. But I didn't get a choice to write it. And I'm not saved by my works. But if I am saved, then my life will be changed. I will live differently. My, my verbiage will clean up. Not all the time. I cuss sometimes. But I mean, it'll, you know what I'm saying? Not really. But you get it? Okay, all right. And that's going to happen. It's, a, it's because sanctification is instantaneous. And that means that when I call the name of the Lord, I'm instantly saved. But it's also progressive. And that God's got a lot to work with. He's got to get me out of me. And some of you got a lot of you and you. And some of you, you're religious. And you don't think you have any problems. And you are jacked up. <laughs> you're worse than the person over here because you think you have no problems. That's the conflict that's going on. 
And Paul says, look, observing the law is not going to make you right with God. Going to church isn't going to make you a Christian. You understand that. No more than going to Taco Bell is going to make you a taco, right? So just because you're at church doesn't mean you're okay. But secondly, freedom in Christ doesn't promote sinfulness either. You don't just get to go and live the way you want to live. So how does salvation through grace and not through legalism work? Look at verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This life I now live in the body, I live by faith through the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The great deception. The great deception of I. See, there's two ways that that word I is understood in Scripture. One is healthy. It's a self. It's about you. It's you taking ownership for you. It's you taking responsibility for you. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's self-direction, self-perception. It, it, it's healthy. The other way is selfish. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. It's all about my needs. It's a rebellion against God. It's the eye of ego. It's the eye of self-exaltation. It's the eye of self-deception. Satan fell because of selfishness of I. Isaiah 14, 13 through 15 says, I will ascend into the heaven and exalt my throne, and I'll be like the most high. And God says, you will be brought down to hell. Nebuchadnezzar, who in the book of Daniel leads the most powerful nation on the face of the planet, was judged by God because of this I-ego issue. Daniel chapter 4 says, But I, by my own mighty power, have built this beautiful city, and I have done it to display my majestic splendor. While the words were still in the king's mouth, the thing was fulfilled that brought him down. Proverbs 16, 18 says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Luke's gospel chapter 14, verse 11 says that whoever exalts himself shall be abased. The reality is that if you're going to have faith in Jesus Christ and not in the law, it can't be about you. That's why the law doesn't work, because the law is all about you. You being perfect. You doing everything right. You showing up to church on time. You checking all the boxes. You. This is the reason why anybody starts a conversation with me as a pastor or any leader and go, well, let me tell you what I've done, what I've accomplished, where I've been, how I've done this. <laughs> it's like, no, it's not about you. The day you think church is about you. Well, I want to attend a church where I feel like I can worship God and I feel like I can and I feel like and I, I go back to them. What did the church exist for? For you? No, it exists for lost people. It's the same thing they said to Jesus. The religious leaders who were law abiders said, why is it that you hang out with sinners? Why is it that you hang out with these people of ill repute? Why is it? Why don't you do? And Jesus is following the law, but why is it that you get so close? Why, why, why? And, 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 and it's the same thing if we're not careful. It's, it's about me. It's about what I want, how I like it. What do I think? Any preacher who gets up and doesn't preach this God's word, but I think and I observe and I and I and I, be careful. Again, go back to God's word. And Paul says, look, it's not I no longer live. 
If you're going to follow Jesus Christ, you are going to have to cease to exist. If you're going to follow Jesus Christ, it's no longer your will and your wants. It's not a, I get to have both. It's no, it's not my money anymore. It's not my life anymore. It's not my anything anymore. It's God's. This is what I don't understand sometimes about Christians. We raise our hands in worship and we do all this stuff, but we have all these, these possessive pronouns that we use and how we describe the church or our offerings or our giving or what we do. It's not about you. It's not about me. You understand? I mean, like, and sometimes I think we do this sometimes too. We go, well, as a minister, I understand that, you know, you've got to really think about what your God's called you to do. No, <laughs> I'm not the saint of the church. You are. And if the Bible says that I'm called to equip you, the saints of the church, to do the work of ministry. So if you're the saint of the church and I am but a messenger, you are more important than I am. And somewhere in your psyche, you've allowed some type of cultural norm to tell you the priest or the pastor or whoever is greater than you. And it's not true because the ground's leveled the foot of the cross. And so just as much as it's important that I ask God, what do you want me to do with my life? God, do you want me to go? Do you want me to stay? Do I preach this? Do I preach that? God, what do you want from me? What do you want from my family? Just as it's important for Tammy and I to do that in our marriage, in our home, and with our kids, it's even more so important that you do that. So before you take the job, have you prayed about it? Because I no longer live. Before you take the promotion, have you thought about it? Because I no longer exist. Before you decide you're going to do this or that or go here or go there, have you humbled yourself and prayed and fasted? Because it's no longer your choice. Ooh. See, we just sometimes think Jesus is this add-on. That's what Peter was doing. I'm going to keep living under the law, but I'm just going to do what I want to do. And Paul goes, no, if that's the case, verse 21 says, then Christ died for nothing. No, <laughs> it's a reckless abandonment where I am palms up. God, I will go where you want me to go. I will say what you want me to say. I will do what you want me to do. I will be what you want me to be. I don't get to choose to stand on this platform. I don't get to choose to pastor in this city. I don't get to choose where I live. I don't get to choose... No, 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 no. Not I, you. Not me, you. How did Jesus teach the disciples to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done. Not my kingdom. Your kingdom. Have your will, have your way in every aspect of my life. Who I marry. Where I live. What I do, how I do it, I no longer live, but Christ lives. The great decision. The word but, the great decision. I've been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. When the conjunction but is used, there's three focuses. Usually it means to stop the because the preceding is not correct. That would be the case here. It's not about you. Your life isn't about you anymore in Christ. Your preferences aren't really important anymore in Christ. It means to look the opposite direction. What's the opposite of I? It's Jesus. It takes on a journey in the opposite direction. But takes the exception to what was previously written. 
You get spiritually and I get spiritually healthy when we realize that there is frustration and failure and self-effort apart from Christ. This is going to help some of you. You're struggling because you are trying to do it. You're trying to will your way. You're trying to make it happen. Listen, you will never will your way to the life that you want. You will never grit your way out to the way you want it. You will never self-effort your way to there. Because we've been saved by grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says that we've been saved through grace and that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. So how do I live this life in Christ that I want to live? By gift of God. If I give you a gift, you didn't earn it, you can't buy it, send me a thank you card. That's all you can do. And I grow in faith. Romans 8, 5 says, those who fulfill the self-centered flesh focuses their life on self-satisfaction. It's not about me. I no longer live. I no longer get a vote. I no longer I don't get credit. See, I, when I get to heaven, God's never going to judge me. Let's just help it. Let's just talk about me because I talk about you, you're going to get mad. Um, it, it, when I get to heaven, God doesn't judge me on how big the church is, how big the offering is, uh, how long I stayed, how many people like me. He's going to judge me on one thing. I told you to go and did you go? That's it. Am I faithful? He makes it fruitful. If I focus on the fruit... And not on being faithful and not on the root of the issue, which is the things that nobody else sees. I will get all my applause this side of eternity, all my hand claps, all the praise this side of eternity. But that side of eternity, before I stand before God, it will be wood, hay, and stubble and will be consumed. No. That but there says it's not about me. It's about Christ. Let's listen to this, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. You were dead forever before many sins, obeying Satan and refusing to obey God, following the passions and the desires of your own evil nature. But God made us alive together with Christ. Let me tell you how you overcome sin. It's not going to be through self-help. It's not about you. It's not about you. That's good news, isn't it? It's not about me being perfect. It's not about perfect attendance. It's not about, oh, I'm trying not to say this, and I'm trying to do this. And I know people that are really, they're trying so hard, and I get it. And, and I'm not saying that you don't, don't try. But it's not about that. It's, it's, it's by grace that I've been saved. It's, 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 it's by my faith in Jesus Christ. It's not about me. It's about grace, not about the law. I love, I'm going to do a series, I've been saying this for years, on the butts of the Bible. Because I, I just think, like, take that however you want to. But I'm just saying, like, I just think there, this was going along, but God, but God, but God. We were dead in our sins and full of ourselves, but Jesus. Do you remember when he came into your heart and into your life and changed you? And that comes from what we call the great dedication. Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And now the life that I live in this body, I live by faith through the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Because it's not about I, it's about a great dedication unto Christ. What does it mean for Christ to live in you? It means, first of all, that Jesus takes up his residency in you. 
Ephesians 3.17, for Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust in him. It means that Jesus' presence will be in your life. Colossians 1.27, this is the secret, that Christ lives in you. Jesus will give you a new drive. What does that mean? 1 Peter 4.2 says you won't spend the rest of your life chasing evil desires. Why? Because Christ is in you. I used to live for me. I was about me. But Jesus came. But Jesus showed up. But when Jesus came, my desires changed. My drive changed. My focus changed. My life changed. That's the reason why I don't get it when people kind of go, well, I want to go to church, but I want to keep living this way. You didn't get saved. You didn't understand grace because this is not an add-on like power windows or heated seats. No, I was lost and dead in my sins. But Jesus Jesus Christ showed up and Jesus took my sins away and he took my past away and he gave me a new redeemed life by Christ. That's it. New purpose. First Colossians 1.18 says, for he is the first in everything and then in all things that we may have preeminence through Christ Jesus. And over and over and over. I love this one. Jesus makes us overcomers when he comes in. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. We never give up, for our present troubles are quite small. Yet they produce for us a great glory that will last forever. For we look forward to what we have not seen. For the troubles we see will soon be over, but the joys to come will last for eternity. By Christ. Where would your life be if it wasn't for but Christ? Verse 21, as you read today, tells us, if we don't apply this message of grace and we choose to live under rules and regulations made by men, it tells us in that effect, for I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, through my actions, through I, then Christ died for nothing. As I was studying this, I want to read this and I'm going to pray. I came across, I don't even know who the theologian is, but it was a commentary written about 300 years ago on this passage. And he says this, I have only one hope, therefore, for I hope in Christ and I live in him. For I do not trust intellect or religion or money or glamour or power or anything else to save me. For I live in him. It's him alone who can save me. Only what Christ wants to do, I want. For he lives in me. He rules me. He directs me. You see, I can't be bothered with the outdated rules of an outdated and powerless religion. That's where I want to live with God. Is to understand that it's him who saved me and not me. That I died at Aaron and that I live for Jesus. And when I do that, because I'm reminded, I go back to that jail cell in Rome that Paul's writing some of the most powerful words of the New Testament. 
He's talking about love and joy and freedom. He's talking about forgiveness and grace and goodness. He's talking about mercy in this nasty dungeon. It's not palatial like the Vatican. It's in a hole in the ground where sewage is running through and, the, and just the smell and the nastiness and the dampness and all that goes with that. He's writing these powerful words. How? And this grace. If you ever lock into what grace really is, it makes you want to love God more. It makes you want to serve God more. It makes you want to follow his word more. It makes you want to reduce yourself more and exalt him more. Because you realize, man, that everything else is powerless. Everything else is just man's rules instead of God's word. Don't ever forget in the world in which we live in, that's crazy. We live in a crazy world, crazy world. That one day, the trumpet of the Lord will sound in, dead, in Christ and, the, and, 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 and time will be no more. That one day, as John the Revelator wrote, as he was dying on the island of Patmos, I see a man in the clouds with a crown on his head and a sickle in his hand, and he will harvest this earth. And there won't be political pundits or religious activists or church leaders. No, justice will come to this planet. And all that's wrong will be made right. It's not about us. It's about him. It's not about my will. It's about his will. Father, I just thank you today for your word. I thank you today, Lord, that we have grace in you. And if we're not careful, we can all become like Peter and get caught up in our own hoops and religious rules. We all have that tendency. But it's your grace that saves us, not us. It's not about a church. It's not about organized religion. It's about you, Jesus. It's about you. It's about relationship. And I pray, Lord, in my own life, help me to cease to exist. And you be glorified. In our lives, as a biblical functioning community, let the eye of ego cease to exist and let you be glorified. In our world, Jesus, let I cease to exist and let you be glorified. Help us not to be judgmental. That's not our job. Help us to love people that are unlovable and to serve people that are hopeless and helpless. Help us to be your hands extended. Help us to give grace to people who don't give grace to us. Help us to live a receivable life where we're firm in the center and we're soft on the edges. Help us to operate 
and live in the same grace that we've received. And not be bound by the works of our flesh or the legalism that drives us away from you, but rather, God, to be found in the grace that only comes from you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.